I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. I'm super excited about today's show. I get to introduce you to Kaylee Shore. Kaylee is a great singer-songwriter. She does a podcast. She has all kinds of things going on. And the morning that we were talking, she got hit. Her car got hit by a garbage truck. So we're glad that she is okay. Can't wait for you to get to know Kaylee. And I encourage you to check out her music after the podcast. So here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Songtown on Songwriting Zoom Room. We got Kaylee Shore in the room today. Kaylee's an amazing singer-songwriter, podcaster. She does all kinds of great things. Um, I'm just going to read a couple things from your bio. Um, according to the New York Times, Kaylee's debut album, Open Book, was the number seven best album of 2019, alongside Taylor Swift, Lana Del Rey, and Ariana Grande. Variety called that same album 2019's best freshman country effort. Um, you've just done some really, really cool stuff. You and I have written, and the, the thing that impresses me most about you is just how raw and real and honest you are with your music. So you. just tell us a little bit about where your music comes from. Um, I mean, it's for a while, it was kind of uninspired because I was trying to chase these stories that I didn't relate to. I, you know, I mean, like, it's one thing to go in with another artist and help them tell their story and get inside their head, but it's another thing to be writing about things I hadn't experienced. And as I get older and experience more, you can kind of hear in a song when somebody doesn't know what they're talking about, no matter how articulate it is. Like, and that's why I think people resonated with Taylor Swift when she was so young is because like you actually did believe her you were like she loved him that much you know <laughs> yeah um but when i was like 20 you know 1920 here writing songs about things i i didn't get i mean i i was in a relationship from the day i turned 18 until i was 23 so it's like actually 24 so it was like six years and i hadn't really had my heart broken by a guy to that extent um and as I sort of, as we started moving towards that breakup and that was on the horizon, I was able to write about other heartbreaks. And I think that that was really helpful. You know, I started to write about my family and explore that. And so I'd already been rehearsing, being honest. And then this like huge life event happened. And I was just like, wow, I just don't care enough to hide anything anymore. And there's a quote from Alanis Morissette from a MTV interview from like the jagged little pill era and she uh the interviewer is like do you find it hard to write about your real life and she's like no it's the easiest thing in the world it's all there and i think that that's just like a, a quote really hit me you know when i heard you play one time at a song suffragette show at the listening room and there were a lot of great songs and a lot of great artists but i didn't feel like there was anybody on stage that was letting me into their life the way you were yeah i am um, it's so interesting to have like have a podcast on top of just my songs because it's like really how much do people need to know at this point but um <laughs> yeah i think i i've always loved these very confessional kind of artists whether it was in a really abstract way like nirvana or a very literal way like taylor swift and alanis um i love i love songs that are literal 
like I appreciate a good blackbird metaphor as much as everybody else, but there's something really interesting to me when it's just like a narration and you can find really poetic ways to say something that just happened. It feels more like showing, not telling a little bit. Um, as a, so like, I, I really appreciate writing songs like that as opposed to just abstract emotion. And so when you're writing a narrative song, you're gonna end up spilling the beans a little bit. Yeah, and I, and I think too, you know, even people that like when Taylor would write about breakups and that kind of thing, it was always the guy was the villain you know, yeah, I think and, I loved when her music evolved past that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and that's part of what I love about your music is that you let yourself be the villain at times, or you you at least reveal um, insecurities or issues that may have caused the problem and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, we have that one song we wrote together called "Common Denominator," and I still yeah. love that song. I was looking at it the other day. There's like a couple things I want to tweak now, so we should get back together and do that. Yeah, but sure the hook of that, I mean, you know, but I'm telling everybody else was like, you know, all these things keep happening to me and I keep getting my heart broken and I keep meeting these horrible people, but also who's the common denominator? It's me. So how, how much am I playing a part in this? And it's important to ask yourself that question. I think I may have arrived at the point where I ask myself that too much and I'm like convinced, convinced I'm the bad guy. And then I'm like, wait a second. It's not like some, it's not my fault that this keeps happening. It's that like I attract certain kind of people and what I need to do is like attract less of those people. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's always a two-way street. I mean, my, my ex-boyfriend, I broke up because he was abusive and cheated on me and there's still bad things I did in that relationship. Did I deserve for it to end like that? No, but like I contributed to the unraveling of that for sure. Cause that's how relationships work. No one walks away perfect from something. Who inspired you to write? I mean, what, what music was behind, you know, kind of where you're coming from with your writing? I, I had an interesting musical journey and it's reflected in my, my career as well. But I, my mom only listened to Christian music. So like, honestly, we barely even listened to Christian radio. It was always Christian talk radio, just so loud all the time. I mean, God bless Billy Graham, but his voice is so triggering to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to it all the time. Um, but at my dad's house, he was really into music and loved like Janis Joplin. And and he went to, uh, my dad danced on stage with Janis Joplin and I didn't believe him until I found a YouTube video of it. So he's a big music guy. But around the time that I was becoming like a sentient being, so like six years old um, and like aware of things around me, I started listening like it was the year 2000 and so country was having an incredible moment then because it was when like the chicks were um had their you know big crossover with um fly and then you had around that time you had faith hill with breathe which was a number one on ac um obviously shania twain one of the best-selling artists of all time um and it was just like, and there was like a lot of country crossover into the like Lilith Fair kind of type of stuff as well. Like where you'd see like Alison Krauss and Lisa Loeb or something like that on the same lineup. Um, so I think, but then as I listened to those songs, I loved the storytelling. And so like the first music I was really exposed to was country. Um, and then I just remember I got this big, like giant CD 
you remember the big CD booklets? It was so big. It was like the size of like four Bibles stacked side by side and on top of each other. <laughs> and I found it in the parking lot of the hospital that my grandpa was in. So I was like six or seven years old at this point. And I was like, that was a lot of money. I mean, CDs were like $15 each and it's this giant thing. And there was someone's name on it. This was before Facebook. And we like looked in the phone book. I kept calling. I asked a seven-year-old, I was very concerned about this person getting their CDs back and like kept bugging my dad. I'm like, we have to like find the person. And we really, really tried to find the person and we could not. And so I was like, well, I'm going to see what's in there. And that was where I heard Blink-182 for the first time. And that was where I heard Nirvana. And that was where I heard Pearl Jam and um, all of those great rock bands. So whoever that person is that dropped that in the parking lot, I don't think they understood what they were setting in motion. Um, <laughs> So I, I just like, it was all, I just realized how much I love music. And so that was when I started writing songs too. It was when I was six years old and they were terrible, but I was trying so hard and I never stopped. So when people are like, Oh, when did you start writing? I'm like, literally as soon as I could like literally like spell. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's, it was just sort of a lot of different things. And I got really, really into female singer songwriters, like just the greats from Carol King to Alanis Morissette. And then, obviously Taylor Swift. I mean, I'm peak Taylor Swift demographic. And as soon as I heard her, I just remember like thing, something fell into place when I heard Taylor Swift. What's your goal with your music as an artist? I, I want people to be able to see themselves in my songs while still telling my story in as detailed a way as possible there's this kind of myth when you're in a writing room where people are like, oh, that's, that's too specific. I'm like, you, you hear a song, if you relate to one line, that's gonna be your song. All you have to do is find that little piece that you, you're connected to. And even just the emotion, like All Too Well by Taylor Swift. <laughs> Me and my friend at karaoke the other night, we did the 10 minute version, which is like a very bizarre thing to put people through, but we had so much fun. <laughs> and um, that song, it's like, it just makes me, it brings something out in me, even though I've never had that exact kind of breakup or with You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette, I've never had that kind of breakup either, but they both like pull some massive emotion out of me. And it's one that I felt just in a very different scenario. And so I, I would just love for, you know, me to release a song like Escape that is like so deeply detailed. It, it says people's names and yet they still find themselves in them. And um, like my song, Amy, nobody was like, oh, I don't know an Amy. So like, I don't, I don't relate to this song. They were like, you know, it's like people will find themselves in there if they're meant to. And so that's like my main goal is just to like show, show people, be able to word how people feel without them maybe knowing how to word it themselves. Yeah, I think, you know, to be successful with your music, you can either tell a story people relate to, or you can be a person they relate to. And, you know, by- that's by, by just share by being real and putting it out there I think you invite other people to do that you know and and they appreciate that even if they don't relate to the story that you're telling or what you've been through they appreciate the vulnerability and the courage that you have to share those things yeah and that's that's just something that definitely drew me to country music and I've had a little bit of a up and down relationship with country because it's been hasn't it was really nice to me on my first single and fight like a girl went so well. And then 
I started to feel like old news really fast. Um, and then it wasn't until people outside of Nashville recognized my album that people in Nashville that hadn't been paying attention all of a sudden started paying attention. And it like my record deals in New York City, my publishing deals in Los Angeles, and I, you know, my managers here, my other managers in New York, but like it took other people to kind of, and so I feel like recently, like very recently, as in like this week, I went back and I listened to a bunch of the country songs that I, you know, fell in love with. Songs you wrote, actually. Um, I just put them on YouTube while I was cleaning and I was just like, I really do love country music. I hate some of the things it's done to me, but I really do love it. And the Opry, the Opry always reminds me of that too. That was kind of a tangent, but I just have been thinking about it a lot, so. Well, yeah, it's funny how the New York Times says you're great and all of a sudden the people around you in Nashville go, oh, we knew she was all along, <laughs> you know? that Exactly, it's, it's so true. It's like, oh, it is, an, it is an interesting dynamic, but yeah, the, the New York Times thing was a huge game changer for me. And I think something that a lot of people don't realize and that I myself forgot was, that only happened like three months before the pandemic. And so I started 2020 with that having just come out. And then I was, um, I literally rang in 2020 opening for Jason Isbell, Keith Urban and Stevie Nicks um, in front of 200,000 people at Nashville's New Year's, which was crazy. And I remember like cheersing Nicole Kidman on stage and being like 2020 is going to be the best year of my life. And <laughs> no. The best, the best moment of 2020 was the first moment of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, it was a lot of momentum and then a lot of pause because of what happened. So it's, I kind of wonder about what my career would have looked like if that hadn't happened. But I also know that every single other artist on the planet is wondering that. And so nobody really had a leg up in that department. What kind of advice would you give young girls that want to start writing songs? such I never know how to answer that question it's a great question and it's something I should answer um it changes a lot because I'm like okay what would I have liked to know I mean I think just what we were just talking about about like telling your story and, and you know being either a person people can relate to or writing a song people can relate to um honestly on the harsh advice side of things this is a quote from I think Reba but it's like if you can do anything else, go do that. And if you can't, welcome to the shit show. <laughs> um, so it's like, okay, like make sure you want this because you're gonna have to sacrifice a lot. And if you do it right, you won't notice the things you're sacrificing. But if you have this alternative life that you're kind of envisioning in the back of your mind as your backup plan, it's gonna be a lot harder to weather the the bad stuff. Um, I don't notice the things I missed out on. I, did, I don't notice that I didn't go to college, you know? I don't, because I've just been so hyper-focused. Um, so there's that, and then there's also like, don't write about things you don't understand. Um, there's a difference between writing like a third person song, like um, the way that Carrie Underwood does, or like Taylor Swift on Folklore. Like you're telling these stories like, but. I just remember being on stage with somebody one time and they played this song and we're like, I've never lost anybody, but this is a song about what I think it would feel like to have somebody close to you die. And my sister had just died. And I was like, 
this is, this is appropriation. This is emotional appropriation. (laughs) And, um, that's a mistake I think I made and I've seen a lot of people make, and it's just one more reason for people to brush off a young girl in Nashville is like, be like, well, you don't even understand. It's like, you don't and accept that and live your life and find things to write about. But yeah, I think that is, that is this week's advice to young women. Check back next week. (laughs) what I have to say, but we'll check in with you. We talk a little bit about song suffragettes and and your work with them and and maybe just your thoughts on being a woman in the music business. I um I will I have I you know that question is so important to ask but I have I'm so excited for like 10 15 years from now when no one has to ask that anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still it's still something that needs work and I've been really excited in the past like two years to see how people have understood that women are not the only marginalized members of country music. And, you know, there's been way more of a conversation about just diversity in all areas. And I'm, I'm really good friends with Brooke Eden and Mickey Guyton. And so seeing Mickey's career just explode by her writing these really honest songs about her experiences, like a black woman in country. Um, she's more country than I am. She's from Texas. You know, she's, she's amazing. But, uh, and then Brooke Eden being able to come out as, um, you know, as a lesbian and have her fiance, Hillary, who's one of the most beautiful people ever. They're so happy. And her being able to sing, she's in love with the girl at the Opry. I mean, did you see that with Trisha Yearwood? Oh, I need to check that out. And Trisha saying she's in love with the girl. And it was like, uh-huh. it was very, it was so sweet. But, um, so there's been a lot of a lot of important conversations that have happened, and I think that a lot of it is a result of the uncomfortable conversations that we had about women in country. Um, it was just like it was time for like a very big reckoning of sorts. But Songs of Forgets, we just celebrated our eight year anniversary, which is crazy. I played the first show, and um, Kelsey Ballerini was our first guest on the second show, and she was at the eight year anniversary and played at that too. So it was a very cool, like full circle moment for, for us. And we were just like, we were like, we were like teenagers when that happened. Like where that's insane to think about, but, um, so it was a really huge, huge part of my Nashville story. I didn't really have places to play before then. I was playing like Belcourt taps and, um, this place in, um, near the arcade called Back Alley Diner. Did you ever go there? Bad. I used to play there all, a lot and um, they're closed, so I could say this, but they would give me key lime pie shots even though I was 19 years old and I loved it. <laughs> but that's like the kind of stuff. And I was playing like, uh-huh. you know, 90s covers. So having a place to play my original songs and learn how to do that and, and connect with an audience and talk in front of an audience, because that's hard. That took me a long time. And I think that hosting Songs of Forgets is part of why I've been able to have a podcast and I had a show on Radio Disney up until they closed and I've done a lot of red carpet hosting. So I've had this like secondary career and it has made such a huge difference. And like, I don't know if I would be that good at it if it wasn't for Songs of Forgets and having to, you know, narrate a show every week. Um, I met so many friends through there. I met my best friend, Candy Carpenter. I met the girls that I wrote my first single with, um, Haley Steele and Lena Stone. We all wrote Fight Like a Girl together about song suffragettes. And so that was like a huge, huge, massive moment for my career. And to be able to have that 
level of success with my debut single, I, I don't think I even really appreciated it as much like fully until recently when I was back and I'm like, that was, that was, that was a privilege to get to jump into things and, you know, walk a red carpet after your first single has been out for like three months. Um, so I think it made me a better friend to women because there's not room for competition back there. Like backstage at those shows, like if someone's, if someone's not nice, like it's palpable and everybody else is like, okay. And then you go off and you're like, just, just ignore the mean girl. And that's happened like maybe two or three times in the eight years that I've been there. And it's just an insecurity thing. I don't blame girls for that. We've been taught to compete against each other. Um, but it created this, this culture where it wasn't clicky. We've had like 300 plus girls play. Um, so that would be a very large click. And, um, I know that so many girls like write because they met backstage or they met at like a song suffragettes event. And I just, I don't know what my career would have looked like without it, but all of the most important parts of it, um, would be missing. And it gives me anxiety to think about if I hadn't had that as part of my, my path. Yeah, it's a very, from the outside looking in, it's a very powerful community and supportive community. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the, all the shows I've been at. I've loved the way you all support each other. It's fun. It's fun. And like, you know, I think something that people forget is like, not everybody's music has to be for you. You don't have to go home and listen to everybody's music, but everybody is making something for somebody. And we all have different, different people who like our music. You're not really competing unless you have a bunch of people who are chasing the radio all playing up there, but that's not how it is. You know, you have singer songwriters, you have power vocalists, you have like, you know, whatever the hell I'm doing that given week, <laughs> like nobody, um, nobody blurs together because I feel like they think it, it feels like a safe place to be themselves. Like I remember playing, um, like Tin Roof when I was 19. And um, this is when I used to play with Luke Combs all the time for like 20 people. And um, I would always just like try so hard to like hang out with the guys and like, they were so nice. Luke is one of the best people I've met in Nashville. Um, but I just remember like trying so hard to like be like wh whiskey, and beer and stuff. I was 19, you know? Um, and so Songs of Redettes just feels like you walk in there and I think these girls feel safe to be themselves. And that's special and brings out the best side of everybody. And I think for, I mean, there's always been pressure on artists to kind of conform to the Nashville mold. But I think particularly there was a time like 80s, 90s, early 2000s, where the pressure on women in that regard was enormous. I mean, it felt, it, it almost felt like with the women, the women that I wrote with during that time, that the label was just trying to plug them into this set of songs. And if that didn't work, they'd find another girl to sing that set of songs. And, it, you know, and it was just yeah. like completely interchangeable what they were doing with them. And, and to see people like you and Mickey, Ashley McBride, I mean, people that are, are breaking out to really be authentic and real, I think are, are really what's changing things for women in, in music because I think you guys are giving people the license and freedom to not be the mold, you know, not be in the mold and to be yourselves. I've definitely like, it's a very big compliment and I know what you mean. It's um, cause I've had a lot of girls 
like, and by a lot, I mean like probably more than 10, tell me something similar to that about how like they felt like they couldn't do that or they couldn't say this. And then they heard my album and they saw how it did well. And they saw, you know, how people reacted to it. And they're like, wait a second. I can totally say the F word if I feel like it. <laughs> like, um, that's my legacy, putting F-bombs in country music. <laughs> uh, but that's such a special thing. Like, I remember this, there's this girl, um, her name's Kings. She's like bright yellow hair, like literally this color. She's so cool. She's an amazing vocalist. And I met her on TikTok and she lives out in LA. And I didn't know any of this, but I went to go see her play a show before we wrote together. And her mom was there and her mom comes up and gives me a huge hug. And I was like trying to put two and two together. And then I remembered that before the bright yellow hair, her and her mom had come to Song Suffragettes and she didn't even live in Nashville or LA yet. And apparently, I, I vaguely remember this, but the mom had to remind me, she was like, you, she asked you like what your advice would be to a songwriter just moving to town. And you said, tell your story and don't tell anybody else's. And like, I didn't realize what I was doing by having this conversation, but I remember pulling this girl aside out of the meet and greet line and just vomiting advice because somebody had actually solicited it for once. Uh And uh, I didn't, I just didn't realize it. And then, you know, flash forward, I did not put that together with this girl and she has like 6 million TikTok followers. Oh, wow. And like her, her and her mom, like, I didn't, I just, you never know. That's also a big, a big lesson in being nice to people is you just, you never know the effect you're going to have on people. Also drop more CDs in parking lots. You never know who you're going to inspire. (laughs) (laughs) But that was like, that was such a huge, and I just remember like sobbing when like privately after her and her mom told me that because I was just like, dang, you just don't think when you're when you're doing your thing you're not really thinking about like oh i want other people to like see me as a beacon of of bravery but then like people look to you and then they're like wait a second i can do that too and i'm like you just don't think about it in the moment but it's one of the most rewarding parts of this for sure well if people want to learn more about you what are you working on now tell us a little bit about the podcast music things you're working on anything else yeah, the podcast has been really fun. It's called Too Much to Say. Um, it's on iHeart and it's executive produced by Bobby Bones. I don't have any, they don't censor me at all. I can do episodes on whatever I want. Um, I just share my loud opinions. And I remember when Bobby asked me to do it at the beginning, he was like, he's like, yeah, so you just like talk. And I'm like, can I get a little more guidance in that? Like, I'm not sure what you mean. And he's like, literally just talking to a microphone, share what you feel strongly about that week. And then we'll just post it. And I'm like, thought like, it felt like he was kidding, but that's literally the premise of my podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I have something that I've needed to complain about all week, it's like, you know, there the microphone's go. right here. Uh, so that's, uh, that's every week on Wednesdays. And then right now I have been a little bit, rudderless with my own artist project. I'm trying to figure out what I want to say next. And I have the luxury of like going out and discovering that because I've been writing for other artists and I have some, you know, pretty, pretty big cuts. I have this one song um, out with an artist named Upsall. It's called People I Don't Like. And um, it has like 60 million streams and my little sister knew it and didn't know that I wrote it. And she thought I was like the coolest person ever. And I was like, <laughs> uh, 
so that was really, really cool. And so like my publisher is very pleased on that front. And then I've been able to get into bigger and bigger rights. And I'm focusing a lot on writing with other artists. Um, I've written with Mickey before. We have some really great songs. And I liked helping other people tell their story. And then in the meantime, I'm just figuring out what the next chapter of mine is. But I am um, I'm moving to L.A., well, I'm getting an apartment in LA and then like moving in with roommates here, but I'm going to be out there a lot because I was there for a month back in January and I got so much done and I got like literally like eight cuts in a month long period. And that's more than I've gotten in all of 2021. And so I was like, huh? Okay. From a logistical, I run a business standpoint. Maybe we should go see what's happening over here. Yeah, absolutely. The sunshine doesn't suck. Awesome. But I won't have to pay California taxes because I'll still be here. Just have That's to come back thing. every six weeks. <laughs> That's a good thing. I know. I'm excited. Kaylee, thanks for sharing your heart with us and your story. I encourage everybody to go check out her website's kayleeshore.com, K-A-L-I-E-S-H-O-R-R. And um, we'll put any other links she has for us in the show notes, podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Thank you. All right, I hope you enjoyed Kaylee. Go check out her music, her podcast, all that kind of stuff. Uh, links will be in the show notes. Uh, I've got a song for you called Getting Gone, written by Travis Miles, Larry Vale, and Brian Williams. Before I play you that, I want to encourage you to review us, if you, especially if you like the show. We Our favorite kinds of reviews are five-star reviews, uh, but any of those help us out. So please review the show. Uh, we'd love to uh, have you submit a song for the show. If you're interested in that, podcast at songtown.com. It's where to send that. And we would love to, for you to check out Songtown. Uh, we have a great community of songwriters from all around the world. So here comes our song, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Watching the sun go down in the same old place Tired of seeing all the leaving written there on your face We've been sitting so long, way too long I'm getting tired of just hanging on So I'm getting to the quitting Mouth.